you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. That is the scorecard on Wall Street, but winners stay late. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I am John Fort with Morgan Brennan, and we've got key earnings reports dropping in the next few minutes, including Zoom, Video, Workday, and Occidental Petroleum. We're going to have instant reaction and analysis as soon as they hit. Plus, we're looking ahead to tomorrow's Investor Day from Goldman Sachs. That stock is outperforming the S&P 500 so far this year, but questions are swirling around shortcomings in its consumer business. And now let's get straight to our market panel. Joining us now, Nancy Tengler from Lafford Tengler Investments and Delano Sapporo from New Street Advisors Group. And Nancy, it, these first two earnings that we're waiting for at this very moment, it, it seems to me, uh, Workday and Zoom, it's a story of best of breed versus the giants, right? Uh, best of breed being smaller companies that, that purport to do a thing well. Can you trust best of breed in this environment when so many people are saying the giants have that scale advantage. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Morgan and John, and congrats on the program. It's it's great. Uh, it's great time, and the action has been really awesome. So thank you for having me. Um, in terms of Workday, I think you, the answer to that question, John, is yes. Uh, I think this is a company that has has demonstrated the ability to grow earnings. They've demonstrated ability to uh, withstand competitors and grow in the face of that. I, I'm more concerned about Zoom. Uh, I think. This is a company that feels more like a division of uh, a bigger company, and they have, you know, already guided pessimistically. So we we don't expect growth, and we're not seeing growth. And in fact, uh, the only growth we're seeing is with existing customers. Hmm. So that's a concern that I think we're, they're going to have to work through. Even if they surprise on the upside, I wouldn't step in here. Workday, on the other hand, attractive valuation has had a nice run, but still has a long way to go. Very strong free cash flow. I'm not yeah. a big fan of the co-CEO deal, <laughs> right. um, but nonetheless. Well, you had me at on the other hand. Uh, Delano, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, like, you like Zoom, um, and they're trading right about where they were at their IPO, and they were right about where the world was going in interactive you know, video, people having these conversations. So why not, I know you're, you're long it, but, but why not get into Zoom here? There, there are downsides. Yeah, there are 100% are downsides. Slowing growth, as Nancy mentioned, um, we're obviously post-pandemic in, in some respects. Um, so the demand is a lot different uh, than we saw in 2020 and 2021. So, so those are the downsides. On the positive side, on the upside, potentially, what I see is that they're growing the enterprise size of the business, right? And so obviously that's a side where they're seeing you know higher reoccurring revenues. Um, but that side of the business is growing in one area that they're really, really putting the strategic muscle behind. Um, you also see that the churn is starting to slow. And if we get to a normalized area for Zoom, where, you know, the projections and expectations aren't as tough um, as they were in 2021 by their own standards and by the streets, we might see, um, you know, this might be potentially an area where they've been undervalued, right, that's been sold off pretty pretty, pretty harshly, um, obviously, throughout 2022, rightfully so, with the different macro environments as well as the business. But, you know, if you're holding it, obviously, it's a smaller position than, than other areas that I'm holding. I think there's still potential um, for Zoom um, to eat up more of this market, um, especially in a normalized area where we're working with uh, post-pandemic. I mean, we're talking about, too, Nancy, two names that were very high-flying 
were hit pretty hard as we've seen this market uh, turn bearish in the past year plus. Uh, and it speaks to tech re-rallying just to start this year. I mean, even today, it's it's defensive things like utilities and consumer staples and healthcare uh, that underperformed. And it is things like tech stocks that that outperformed even as the rally was faded. Does it continue from here? And I ask that because I know you have been adding risk to your, to your portfolio in recent weeks and recent months. No, that's right, Morgan. I think one of the things we have to remember is that right now, um, or in recent weeks, technology has been trading off of interest rates uh, and the macro to some extent, and less on earnings. Many of these companies, you had uh, Bill McDermott on um, and he, uh, a great interview on ServiceNow last week, and, and that's a company that just keeps delivering mid-20% earnings growth. But I think more importantly, and not being rewarded, more importantly, we have a labor shortage, and it's structural. The baby boomers aren't coming back. And so the way we're going to solve this, and this is where I do agree with Kathy Wood, is with technology and AI, and that these are the companies that can help us get there. So I do think this is going to prove to be a really good entry point. We were adding in in the fourth quarter. We continue to pick away at these stocks, and we've done it by reducing, uh, taking gain profits in energy, which we still like a whole lot, but also reducing our exposure to consumer staples. So, yes. All right, Nancy, hold tight for a moment. Workday earnings are out. Christina Partsinebolis has those numbers. Christina? Now we're seeing a beat on the top and bottom line. Uh, EPS earnings per share coming in at 99 cents adjusted. That's stronger than what the street anticipated on revenue of $1.65 billion. Also stronger than what the street anticipated. The company did say in their press release that I'm reading right now that they're maintaining the midpoint for their full year subscription revenue and they're also raising uh, their operating margins uh, as well for the full year. So this is just the latest data. You can see shares are... Ah, they were up 1%. They're coming down. Oh, yeah, there you go. Climbing 1% just on the news. So a beat on the top and bottom line and maintaining the midpoint for full year subscription revenue. Christina Parts and Evelis, thank you. Shares are up about 1% right now. Delano, I want to get your thoughts on this. I, I know that you don't have a position in Workday, but in general, talking about some of these, as John put it, uh, smaller tech names uh, that have been best in class, uh, at least until, until recently, your thoughts here and, and to this part of software and, and the tech sector, uh, the strength and the resilience it has. Yeah, Morgan. Yeah, not a position in this, but this is one I would look at very closely. As, as I mentioned, they've had strong execu execution by the management team since they went public. And they've obviously, in most cases, either matched or you know, topped their their sales expectations. And I think they're well positioned right now, um, despite the macro challenges to continue growing, as you see from the from the numbers. You know, I think, you know, it, it, investors right now are going to be looking for a few things. Obviously, you know, growth has been repriced. So that's an opportunity there. And companies that are stable and managing the balance sheet uh, well and managing their costs well. And I think with Workday, obviously, in a growing company, you still have a little bit of that, you know, the well-run, um, strong management from them. And so that's why I would like it here, um, uh, basing, you know, a little bit on the valuation. John, Workday working? Well, uh, here's what <laughs> I want to hear on the call, Morgan. What's happening to back office software? Part of what Workday does, it's, it's finance, it's HR. But do you need more HR software right now because you're trying to figure out human uh, talent management? Who's good? Who's not? You know, all we hear from from Google and from Facebook Meta about doing uh, employee reviews. This is the kind of software you need to do those kinds of performance reviews. So is demand higher or is demand lower because so many companies are laying off so many HR practitioners, and so there aren't as many. And then this a similar thing on Zoom side, right? When you have fewer heads in your customer base, 
right? That net revenue retention is under pressure. Even if you keep, uh, even if people are happy with your software and you're expanding within them, if there are fewer seats to sell into, that can be pressure. So uh, that's what I wonder about in both of these is sort of, is efficiency benefiting them or are the pressures that their customers are facing from the macro actually hurting them? I wonder how much of the job losses you're seeing in certain companies that are whittling down their workforces is actually happening in HR. Because it does seem like an area that has actually been beefing up uh, across corporate America in, in recent years. And Nancy, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, which is this idea of the labor market and the forces of a tight labor market and what that means for companies like Workday. Yeah, I think that is the right question, and Salesforce, for that matter. Um, I, I do think well, this is why we like Microsoft and Oracle as alternatives to Zoom and Workday, because they have other levers to pull. You're getting paid a, a, a nice dividend that's growing uh, to, to wait for the you know for things to improve, and so I think that is something you have to be wary of. And and, and so we're watching that as well. The, mm. This earnings report, as Delano points out, um, you know, gives the, the lie to that. But I think you, you might be an opportunity to take some gains and move on okay. to something bigger. Well, speaking mm -hmm. of moving on, Zoom earnings are out. Christina Partsnevelis brings us those numbers as well. Hi, Christina. Hi. So what we're seeing is a quite a big beat for earnings per share at $1.22 adjusted. Street was anticipating $0.81, cents, and that's helping the stock. You can see climb almost 5%. Uh, revenues were also a slight slightly higher, $1.12 billion. But you're getting mixed results when we're talking about guidance for Q1. Uh, EPS higher, 96 to $0.98, cents, so that's higher than the street. But then revenue guidance for Q1 came in a little light. The same thing for full-year revenue guidance as well. But just going through the report right now, the company's saying that they saw a 27% growth in customers contributing more than $100,000, so that's good for margins. And uh, no comments on the restructuring. We do know that just uh, maybe in two weeks ago, Ago, they announced layoffs for 1,300 employees and 15% of their workforce. But overall, just I'm still going through the report. You're seeing a beat on the top and bottom line, and that's helping shares climb higher. All right, Christina, thank you. John, that's interesting because I, I feel like there had been some cautious commentary from analysts ahead of this report because mm -hmm. of that 15% workforce reduction and that perhaps there was read-through that it was going to be a rougher macro environment for them and the numbers were going to disappoint. doesn't seem like that's necessarily the case here. Well, they're trying to get efficient, and, and Delano, I, I want to get your take here, too. Um, Zoom is the type of company that can't cut its way to success. They, they need another big growth boost. And before, the whole idea behind Zoom was novel. Now, as Nancy said, you know, you got Microsoft in there. You got a lot of others who are doing this. The most encouraging thing I see off the bat in this Zoom release is one adoption continued to accelerate and help drive Zoom phone to grow more than 100% year over year. And... Moving forward a little bit, our emerging technologies such as Zoom Content Center picked up pace as customer experience teams recognize the value of modern integrated collaboration. I mean, you need to see them growing in adjacent businesses and growing pretty quickly for the story to materialize here, right? 100%. You need to see growth. And I think there's a few reasons, a few ways, obviously, that Zoom and the management team is focused on growing. And obviously, it's the, the products, the ancillary services, increasing price. Um, they obviously have a lot of competition. It's obviously a, a very heated comp competition industry area for them, right? And so I think another area that people have thrown out is potential acquisitions and whatever makes sense for them to obviously grow services and bring on inorganic growth. But the, the story here for Zoom and for investors is growth, right? And they're going to they're gonna make cuts. But we're looking, really looking for a growth story. 
and a longer outgrowth story. So for most of the people that are, you know, investing in, in Zoom right now or, or potentially, you know, later on, it's it's for that longer term growth because this company still has a little bit more of a path to go and a story to go to realize some of the longer shots that the company's taking and to increase their market share. But the inorganic growth is something that I'm, I'll be curious to see if the, if the management team has any um, any plays for it, uh, going forward. Okay, quickly, Nancy, before we move on, how much does churn matter to a company like Zoom? where it has been sticky so far, and given the fact that you did see so much pull forward from the pandemic. Yeah, I think that will be the question to ask, Morgan, because that they are counting on a very sticky customer base. And if that changes, that's going to make Delano's growth story, which he's right to point out, much more difficult to achieve. All right. Well, Zoom CFO will break down those results in a first on CNBC interview tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. Eastern on Squawk Box. You won't want to miss that. Delano and Nancy, stay with us. We're going to bring in our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Mike, what is on your radar this afternoon? Well, Morgan, take a look at the S&P, just where today's action brought us to. There was a lot of focus on around these levels we started the day at, uh, holding above no, I wouldn't call it last-ditch support, but definitely what bulls would want to see in the area uh, of holding up. So 39.40, that's where the 200-day average comes in, around 3,900. There's a lot of stuff going back to December. But those who have downside targets are also focused right there, 3,800 and then 42 on the upside, because that's where this index has spent the majority of the last 10 months, even though it feels like it's been whipping all over the place. Did want to take a somewhat longer-term view of software. We're just seeing some software companies report alongside commodities. So this is the software, the S&P software uh, ETF, as well as uh, a broad commodity uh, index. And you see, obviously, they've been not so much necessarily mirror images, but for periods of time. First, it was obviously all about NASDAQ and growth and speculative digital uh, economy type plays. That was 2021. And then, of course, commodities after the uh, the invasion of Ukraine and then with the, the oil boom. So you've seen them come together on this five-year basis. It doesn't mean one has to work while the other doesn't work, but you've seen a little bit of a rotation back into some of the beaten up growth valuations. Then the commodities, you know, pretty conspicuously have not really been able to make a lot of headway right here. The goods uh, disinflation story remaining intact, at least for now, guys. Mike, does that mean that growth is at a point where it's got to prove itself now? Well, for sure. So it, I, I don't think it's going to be monolithic that somehow, you know, growth returns or somehow we're going to go back to the exact same types of things that work. It's just about uh, business models being stress tested and exactly what uh, what makes sense from here. Whereas commodities, you know, it was a weak dollar play for a while. Dollars had uh, a little bit of a bounce. So I don't think it's really style is going to tell you uh, whether you perform or not this year. Style meaning growth versus value as much as it is. Uh, a little more about just, uh, you know, do we have the cyclical tailwinds we want? Uh, what companies are battle tested for maybe a little bit of a tougher uh, chop uh, to go uh, in terms of overall growth? Yeah. Mike Santoli, thank you. Of course, energy is going to be in focus not only with Occidental after the earnings today, but also a number, a flurry of uh, energy-related conferences over the next two weeks. Delano, I want to get your thoughts on this. Where would you be investing? Would you be investing in some more of these tech, na- tech names or some more of these commodity names or neither right now? 
Morgan, uh, uh, we've been buying uh, some of the tech names since the beginning of the year. And I think, you know, part of it has got at some point we have to have seller fatigue. Um, if you look at, you know, what's been going on in the market, obviously, for the past, you know, several the past year. Um, and also, you know, the CPI data that came out in January, excuse me, that came out for, in February for January, um, I think it gave jitters and choppiness in the market. And I think rightfully so. It was a little bit more robust than, than expected. I think that trend won't continue uh, for the February data that we'll see. I think it'll be a little bit nor normalized, a trend of obviously inflation um, starting to continue to go down will be there. And so I think, you know, the, the tech names that have been rallying for the beginning of the year, I think if we see a bounce in the next few days, even after um, the data that we just received, that, that lends to the fact that I think there's support here um, and there'll be upside, you know, growth for a lot of these tech names. All right. Well, you can count on us to watch the data. Nancy Delano, thank you. After the break, we will take a closer look at those results from Zoom, the one-time pandemic darling that's down around 85% from its peak. We're going to ask an analyst about the read-through for other software names when overtime returns. Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm. It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Overtime. Shares of Zoom are higher right now, up about 6% in after-hours trade. Fourth quarter numbers out just moments ago with a beat on both lines, top and bottom. Let's bring in JPM Securities Analyst Patrick Walraven for some instant analysis. Patrick, thanks for joining us before we get this call. Uh, you have a market perform rating on Zoom. Your takeaway from the numbers we've got so far. Uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. I mean, it's pretty good, as you summarize it. They beat on the top and the bottom line. The guidance is a little light on revenue. Um, you know, the big picture is this company grew 4% this last quarter. That is the eighth quarter in a row that the business has slowed down. Last quarter was 5%. So at some point, Zoom has got to turn that around. And, um, you know, they're probably going to need uh, a sort of an act two, some, some new products to help them get there. But uh, that's the big thing that you're looking for as an investor. When, when can they get the growth to accelerate again? So, Patrick, they couldn't buy 5.9, even though they wanted to. Probably would have been a good move for them. Do they try for another decent-sized acquisition, even in this environment? Or do they have to come at this some other way and just generate that organically? Yeah, and I agree with you, John. I think it would have been a good acquisition. It's a shame they didn't get it done. They're sitting on $5 billion in cash. You know, I think they should do something. And I, and I think if you look back, you can see a lot of signals they've given you over time for the sorts of things they might be interested in. So 5-9 call center, you know, for sure. You may remember when Monday went public, they invested in that IPO. So, you know, that space or the um, the project management space might also be super interesting for them. And then they also were going to invest in CVent when it uh, went public and it's uh, when it did its SPAC acquisition. So the, the whole um, event space would also make a lot of sense for them. All right, Patrick. 
Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, Goldman Sachs is gearing up for a rare investor day tomorrow as a chorus of criticism grows around the bank, including a Financial Times editorial board piece titled Goldman Sachs has lost its way. We're going to ask a top analyst if he agrees with that take after this break. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Overtime. It is time now for a CNBC News update. And for that, we turn to Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hey, how are you, Morgan? Here's what's happening. An Israeli man who died after being shot while driving in the West Bank was also an American citizen, according to the State Department, which says the U.S. is extremely concerned by the continuing violence in the region. Over the weekend, a Palestinian was killed when Israeli settlers set fire to cars and homes in response to the shooting deaths of two Israeli brothers. After heavy rain this weekend, a mudslide in the mountains of Los Angeles County has forced one family from their home. Officials are on the scene and ready to evacuate more residents if needed. And Ron DeSantis will not be running into his potential White House rival at the Conservative Political Action Conference this week. person familiar with his planning tells NBC News the Florida governor will not be attending CPAC where former President Trump is expected to deliver a keynote address. Back over to you guys. All right, Bertha, thank you. Now, Occidental Petroleum earnings are out. Pippa Stevens has them. Pippa. Hey, John. Well, the stock down about 1% here after the company did miss earnings estimates for the fourth quarter. Occidental earning 161 per share on an adjusted basis. That was short of the 180 per share that analysts were expecting. Revenue coming in at $8.33 billion. It is unclear if that's comparable to forecasts. Now, the company also announced a new $3 billion share repurchase program and said it's increasing its dividend by 38%. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, of course, the largest shareholder. Guys. All right, Pippa, thank you. And now Goldman Sachs holding its second ever investor day tomorrow. Shareholders are going to be able to assess the roadmap after the bank scaled back its consumer finance strategy. Joining us now with a preview is UBS analyst Brennan Hawken. Brennan, what do investors want to hear and what should Goldman actually say, particularly about the consumer business? Do they just retrench and come at it in a more focused Uh, disciplined way, or do they have to give it up? Well, what they've indicated is that uh, it's more of a wholesale retreat from these efforts. Not completely, but they've indicated that they're no longer going to issue the uh, Marcus loans. These were the unsecured consumer wholesale, uh, sorry, unsecured consumer loans, um, and that which are basically credit card consolidation. Um, And then they're also going to scale back the ambitions uh, there's going to be less credit card uh, uh, partnerships. And um, and so there's going to be still some consumer footprint. The um, deposit taking business, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Investors generally like that. Um, and uh, and then you've got the transaction banking. So uh, it's a scaling back. It's not a complete and total uh, elimination uh, from the consumer business, uh, but it's a, it's a meaningful 
uh, uh, easing in the ambitions. From one Brennan to another here, you got a rating of neutral on the stock. Is this a show me story? And how much does a $30 billion stock buyback uh, affect your take on that? So capital return certainly is helpful. Um, we don't. We did not get a time frame for the $30 billion, so it's hard to know exactly over what period that's going to apply. But certainly an indication of returning capital is helpful. Uh, the CET1 ratio for Goldman, the regulatory bank capital ratio, is a bit high. Uh, and that's uh, and it's definitely well over where uh, Goldman management team has said they wanted to get it. They wanted to bring that down by a couple percentage points uh, and not clear whether or not they're going to be able to do that. Um, and so that's one of the things that we're hoping to get answers on. Really, what I think we need to hear tomorrow is how much are they going to save how much will expenses come down in the loss-making consumer business, and then how much can therefore that fall to the bottom line or will be reinvested, and then that will drive the efficiency ratio down, which will help them achieve their return targets. All right. We will listen out for that. Brennan, thank you. Thank you. Don't miss a first on CNBC interview with Goldman Sachs chairman and CEO David Solomon tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. After the break, Kathy Wood talking about her stake in Tesla earlier on CNBC. But without that position, how would her fund be holding up against the major averages? Mike Santoli dives deep, checks the charts. That's next. And do not forget, you can catch us on the go by following the Closing Bell Overtime podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Overtime. Kathy Wood joined Squawk on the Street this morning to talk markets, the Fed, Tesla. Here's what she said when asked if she wishes she owned more of that stock. It's actually the only stock that is in a benchmark, really, in, a, in, in terms of our flagship. Maybe zoom there 10 basis points in the S&P 500. Um, do we wish? No, we have, uh, we've been criticized for owning too much, actually, and it has been our uh, largest position for the most part for years. Uh, so our conviction remains very high. Well, let's bring in Mike Santoli with a breakdown of ARC's performance. Hi, Mike. Yeah, Morgan. Well, it's a good thing, uh, all things considered, that Tesla was as large a holding for uh, the flagship ARK Innovation Fund all these years. Look at a five-year chart of that fund's performance relative to Tesla and, of course, the S&P 500. Now, Tesla has been, for most of this period of time, about a 10 percent position. Kathy Wood talking about it basically being an upper bound. That's as big as one position can get. So once it got above 10 percent, they'd be selling into this. But you see about an almost 800 percent gain in Tesla over this period. So you can imagine owning 10 percent in something that goes up 800 percent. And overall, the performance is slightly worse than flat. It shows you what the rest of the portfolio has done. It's obviously way down in the five year uh, projected return period is one that Kathy Wood has used in terms of saying this is when uh, they're targeting for trying to reap returns. Also, an interesting note on Tesla uh, and where it is in its life cycle relative to other bellwethers uh, and really almost on the other end of the spectrum, Berkshire Hathaway, in terms of buy and hold, very steady insurance, plus a lot of blue chip stocks. Uh, and they kind of meeting almost again uh, at uh, 600 billion and change in market value. Uh, so you see just the massive ramp in Tesla market cap, uh, really slow and steady gains by uh, Buffett's company here. Uh, and you see this period when we were above, uh, when you know uh, Berkshire Hathaway was 
cheaper on a market cap basis than Tesla was when we could basically say the market was in a, quite an exuberance phase. Yeah, that might be a cautionary chart <laughs> for oh, yeah. Tesla, Mike. Uh, I would say so. Back to Kathy Wood uh, on this one. Is, is this may be a case of just because you're right about one thing doesn't mean you're right about everything. I mean, uh, she, she framed her approach as you don't want to bet against innovation, but you, you could have just bet on the S&P and, and done better outside of Tesla. For sure. Um, and, you know, innovation as defined uh, in, in their way is often just, you know, kind of early stage, addressing a huge market, growing fast, but unproven uh, business models. And of course, look, if you went to the peak in early 2021, uh, when, when ARC just was killing everybody in terms of returns, it shows you there are phases of the market where that stuff really does work. And it captures a lot of the public imagination and investment flows. But uh, we have had this bust. She'll blame inflation. And uh, this huge move in bond yields is undermining uh, a lot of those strategies. But, uh, you know, point to point over five years, it's been a rough one. Yeah. Quick comment here. Just the tortoise and the hair chart that's right behind you, Mike. Uh, it sort of speaks to the rotation we saw in the market yep. last year uh, and, and sort of this push pull of where we go from here. But I just have to point out Lost Ark. This is the banner that's on our TV screen right now. I mean, I'm sitting like you guys are probably the two best makers of dad jokes I know on our air. So Thank you. I appreciate it. That's all I have to say. All yeah. right. Yeah, we could have rated that. Love it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Next to the Temple of Doom. Uh, thank you, Mike Santoli. <laughs> Kathy Wood also weighed in on the surge of interest in artificial intelligence, saying Zoom and Microsoft are well positioned to cash in on the space. We'll see. Two social media names just outlining the new steps they are taking in AI. Julia Borston has the details. Julia. That's right, John Mark Zuckerberg just announcing on Facebook that Meta is creating what he calls a new top-level product group focused on building new experiences around generative AI. He says short-term, they're focused on building what he called creative and expressive tools long-term. He says they're going to develop AI personas, and he says they're working on incorporating AI experiences into text images as well as video. This comes after Snapchat has gained nearly 1% on an announcement of a new experimental AI chatbot for, chats, for Snapchat Plus's 2.5 million paying subscribers. Called MyAI, it's an experimental chatbot built on OpenAI's latest GPT technology, and it'll give those Snapchat subscribers tools to help with the likes of trivia questions, composing messages, poems, or the likes to send to friends. Now, this all shows how the tech giants are working to deploy generative AI to unlock more value, and in Snap's case, to draw subscribers. With Microsoft's OpenAI-trained chatbot and Google's Bard, there is no question now, guys, that the AI race is on. I feel like we need to go through all of the earnings releases we've gotten in recent weeks and see how many times AI has been mentioned on different company calls and how many different industries have done it. Julia Borston, thank you. Up next, a portfolio manager who has been outperforming the market for years reveals where he is finding the biggest opportunities in this volatile market. That's next. Let's take another look at shares of Zoom up 6%. Session hires here in overtime after topping the streets estimates reporting a 12% increase in enterprise customers. Also moving up in overtime, Hims and Hers Health up double digits after topping estimates on revenue, posting a smaller than expected loss. 
fourth quarter revenue was a record while the company surpassed a million subs up 88% year over year. That's a telehealth company and dermatology and reprodu- sexual health, things like that. Yeah. Hymns is the is the ticker there. We might not, I don't know, maybe not church work, songs, but work on that a little bit. Yes. All right. Well, <laughs> maybe hers. Check out yeah, hers. change. H and H. I don't know. Check out shares of Union Pacific in the meantime. It's the top performer in the S&P 500 today. It ended the day up 10% after the freight railroad announced on Sunday that Lance Fritz will step aside as CEO this year amid activist investor pressure as a replacement is now found. The disclosure coming after hours, just hours, after hedge fund Soroban Capital Partners published publicly a letter to the board outlining underperformance by the railroad under Fritz's tenure and urging new leadership. Soroban, which owns about a 1.6% billion stake, uh, naming Jim Vina as leading external candidate. Now, Vina is Union Pacific's former COO of two years and a disciple of the late Hunter Harrison's precision scheduled railroading strategy. Bank of America already upgrading the stock to buy from neutral on the news, but City saying, quote, we think the best outcome for shares is Vienna as CEO and would expect shares to react favorably, but we don't feel like it's a done deal. That actually got my attention a little bit because, um, John, when he had come on at UMP, the stock rallied on that news because mm-hmm. that was at, at a point in time a couple years ago before the pandemic where all the different railroads were uh, adopting a PSR strategy and Wall Street loves to hear that because right. that is an operating strategy um, and presumably if it's done right can lead to, to better profitability. Um, but he had been a contender in running for Canadian National to become the CEO there a couple of years ago in the midst of an activist investor fight shakeup that was happening there too and uh, ultimately withdrew his name. So this is going to be an interesting one here's, to see if he does end up in this position or if it's someone else. Here's what I want to know though uh, as, a, as a novice when it comes to railroads. So much of this seems to be about safety and margins, yeah. right? You were just talking to Northrop uh, sorry, to, um, what's the name Norfolk of it? Southern. Norfolk Southern. <laughs> we were talking too much defense. So I was going, Norfolk Southern last week, and with this union pressure on putting more people, more workers on trains, with salaries going higher, with questions about safety and how much these companies are going to have to invest in that, does the precision schedule railroading, does that even matter anymore? Or do you need somebody who's able to work with people talk to regulators and somehow thread the needle through this? Well, and I think that's kind of the key question in the debate that's shaking up. And, and, and certainly you see the rail industry under increased scrutiny now in the wake of that derailment uh, involving Norfolk Southern earlier in the month. Uh, City actually touched on this today with their note and, and basically said that, if I can find it, here it is, uh, and basically said that, um, you know, it, it's going to be, they believe some will suggest that a non-PSR leader, which is what we've seen recently installed at CSX, it's actually somebody who is a former shipper, um, that, that that could be something that comes, comes up in the discussion, but that many of Union Pacific's challenges specifically are operational, meaning that you're going to want somebody who can make those operational changes. But to your point, I mean, we saw the industry narrowly avoid a labor strike mm. with its unions just two months ago, and all of the railroads now adopting a sick pay policy, which is pretty incredible that we went through a pandemic without something like that in place. So all of it is in focus, and you have lots of lawmakers. Senator Schumer just a few moments ago calling a Norfolk Southern CEO to come testify, for example. It's under a microscope, the industry. Absolutely. All right, up next, find out why a huge week for auto earnings and data could give investors a critical clue about the state of the economy. Auto parts, or auto parts.
A big week ahead for autos and the consumer with earnings from Advanced Auto Parts and AutoZone tomorrow right here on Overtime. We're going to get February auto sales on Wednesday. And alongside that, I want to point out a trio of interesting stats from the book reports Peter Bookvar on the auto space. Monthly payments, that's car payments, at a record high. The average 60-month auto interest rate at its highest level since 2010, that's 6.82%. And many used cars are now worth less than the debt on the Morgan. So can people afford to fix their cars? Can they afford not to since they got to get to work? Uh, key questions. And then, of course, you've got things like gas prices factoring in, too, even as we've seen crude come off ever so slightly. Um, we're going to see you got the auto sales, as you mentioned, on Wednesday. You've got a number of uh, companies reporting earnings, Rivian as well, uh, Tesla Investor Day this week. But I think to your point, we've been having this conversation now for the better part of a week. Consumers are stretched. So where do they have to make the payments versus where are they not able to make the payments? Um, this is going to be a focus with Target, too, which is more discretionary than Walmart. Yeah, because they don't have grocery. They Not to the extent not to that, that extent. Walmart does. Yeah, yeah. But we've seen it, right? We've seen it with the brick-and-mortar retailers, um, the fact that grocery is stay, staying strong right now because people have to buy food. So it's going to be a similar situation with the push and pull, I think, of autos. But we also get Ross stores, and I wonder, can, TJX did pretty well. Right. Overall, mm-hmm. they did well. The thing that didn't do as well was home goods. So how does Ross do? Do they follow more the TJ Maxx Marshalls line, uh, you know, where the treasure hunters are, are trying to sift through? Or do they do a little bit more like home goods because they got some of that stuff on their shelves as well? Uh, are they sort of an inferior good where people are trading down and actually uh, looking for that quality inventory at a discount? Yeah, we're going to have to see how that plays out. Just to go back to the autos piece of the puzzle again, I think it's worth noting we saw because we saw new home home sales or pending home sales, I should say, this morning as well. Um, You've seen some resilience as mortgage rates have come down. Now you're seeing mortgage rates move back up with the 10-year yield moving back up. It's a similar dynamic for autos, too. So I wonder Hmm. how that's going to start to pan out in terms of the outlooks we get. Autos to mortgages really drove that point home. Oh, beep, beep. Double pun there. Drove home. You you got it. All right. That's going to do it for us here. We're going to send it over to overtime. (laughs) Fast money begins after overtime. After we're over overtime. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.